Hello and welcome to the MyPal podcast. MyPal is a podcast about palliative care, innovation and technology. It's wonderful to have you here with us. So if this is your first time, thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to me. Hopefully it will be of interest. If you've been listening before, then thanks a lot for your ongoing support. It really makes a difference for people listening to this and hopefully you're getting something out of it. I'd just like to apologise for the delay of getting this episode up. It's, it's been a, an incredibly busy period. Uh, the summer period is the conference period. We have had a lot of medical conferences where I've been attending. Most recently, the British Medical Association Conference for Medical Academic Representatives. But before that, we had the European Association of Powers of Care Congress that took place in Copenhagen and before that I also attended the Association of Powers of Medicine, the UK APM conference that took place in London. So just because of the amount of conferences, the opportunities to meet other people, share ideas, I just haven't had the opportunity to do the podcast but I'm here now. Now in this episode I thought I'd just talk a little bit about my ideas of culture and how cultural practices affect palliative of care and how culture might be important in acknowledging how we can take palliative care forward. Now, for me, a good starting point about culture is to ask the question, what is culture? Why is culture important? And by having a look at the trends of what's going on in society helps us to explore this further. Barbara Gomez is a researcher who, with the End of Life Intelligence Network, published a paper called What We Now Know. So the conclusions of the paper is that we are in an age society. It's important to understand the trends that our society is in in order to plan ahead. So what we have is people getting older. And as people get older, they become increasingly frail with greater morbidities. Also, we have more than 8 million people in England who are aged 65 and over, which represents 16.3% of the population. The majority, which is 56% of these, are female. Now, commissioned by Dying Matters, there was some NatSense social research interviewed 2,100 and 45 adults in Britain about their attitudes to dying as part of the 2012 British Social Attitude Survey. The survey found that although 70% of the public said they were comfortable talking about death, most hadn't discussed their end-of-life care wishes or put plans in place. Only 35% of respondents had a will, which was down from 39% in 2009, and fewer than a third which was 28%, were registered as as an organ donor donor, or had a donor card. Only 11% had written their funeral wishes or made a funeral plan, and only 5% had made plans about how they'd wish to be cared for if they weren't able to speak for themselves, i.e. lacking the ability to make their own decisions about their care at the end of life. 7% 7% said they would prefer to die in hospital compared to 67% who prefer to die at home. So you could say, well, this is the UK. This is cultural. 
This is the situation that we have in the UK at the minute. But when we talk about culture, what is culture? Why is this important? Do we just have to put up with it? Or can we change and shape culture? Now there is a book by an author that I really like called Culture Making by Andy Couch. Now this is a book which is written around a Christian perspective but I think it is applicable to other scenarios. Andy describes culture as what we make of the world. Culture is first of all the name for our relentless, restless human effort to take the world as it's given to us and make something else. He also goes on to say, culture is how we make sense of the world by making something of the world. Culture is not just what human beings make of the world. It's not just the way human being, beings make sense of the world. It is, in fact, part of the world that every new human being has to make something of. So if you take this premise, then the question will be, is if culture is what human beings make of the world, then what happens if we don't shape culture? You could argue that maybe we lose our cultural value because although culture is something personal in the way it affects us, it's public in its construct, meaning that you need a group of people to work together to make the culture. So culture requires a public, a group of people who have been sufficiently affected by a cultural good that the horizons of possibility and impossibility and their own cultural creativity has been spurred by that good's existence. So we need to remember that palliative care isn't just something that we do. I believe that palliative care has intrinsic value. I think that palliative care is intrinsically good. It has core values about compassion, about dignity, about respect, which I believe are these cultural values. So I think if we look at different cultures and say, well, as a society, we don't talk about death, or as a society, people are afraid about death, I don't think it's, it's enough to condemn culture. I, I don't think that actually improves anything. Nor is it sufficiently enough to just critique culture or to copy culture. We can't just say, look at how they deal with death and dying in a different context. Or, you know, let's just do that here, because culturally, they may be at a slightly different point to where we are. Most of the time we just consume culture. We just get on with it and we just say, well, that's the way it is. We just got to live with it. But the only way to change culture is to create culture. So if we want to be more caring and compassionate society that values the vulnerable, the weak, the dying, then we need to shape culture. We need to facilitate discussion, community involvement, so individuals realise that life is finite, death is normal, the importance of palliative care and advanced care planning. So at the recent APM conference, David Brooks, who was our outgoing president, made an excellent statement. He said, we need to be apologists, not apologetic about palliative care, meaning that we need to explain the importance of palliative care to society without apologising for what we're doing. In order to engage society, we first need to be in society. At the same APM conference, Baroness Neuberger highlighted the importance of community discussion. There is, in my view, a myth that people don't talk about death and dying. However, whenever I personally meet someone in a taxi, or a party, or just generally out and about, they're always quick to talk to me about their personal experience about death and dying. So, imagine this. Could it be that people are actually willing to talk about death and dying, but 
just don't because they just haven't been given that opportunity or lack opportunities to do so in the culture that I'm in, that maybe you're in. Are people having these discussions but we're just not part of it? So at the APM, Baroness Nyberger also highlighted events in the UK with organisations like Dying Matters. So in the UK we have a Dying Matters Awareness Week and Dying Matters are a fantastic organisation that are trying to create that discussion about death and dying and palliative care issues. However she posed us a question asking how many people in the audience have actually been to the events that Dying Matters have organised. Some of the things that Dying Matters do are death cafes so you have coffee shops where People come to have cake and have discussions about death and dying. And that might sound morbid, but it's actually a way to try to get people talking about this normal part of life that will affect us all in some way. But how many of us have actually had that community engagement? Atul Gawande is a surgeon and a writer from Boston, USA. And he's recently wrote a book called Being Mortal. And he's conducted a series of Reef Lectures, which is a series of lectures on the BBC, Radio 4. But again, another question that I have is how many healthcare professionals have heard these lectures, listened to the lectures, have read his book, and have discussed it with their patients, family and friends. Even if we look at the wider media, if we look at media that's aimed towards children, you know, I'm a big fan of films, I've got two small children, and we sit and watch films together, like... Disney films and my two boys are love the film Frozen at the moment and in the first 10 minutes of the film Frozen the parents the two lead characters Anna and Elsa their parents they die in a boating accident the scene then shifts to a funeral scene and then following that the two sisters have to live with the grief of the death of their parents so we see similar themes in other Disney films like The Lion King where Simba has to come to terms with his with the death of his father Musafa and also the legendary death of Bambi's mother. So I recall watching the Frozen film and Lion King with my son and during the death scenes he stopped to ask me what was going on. So we briefly discussed life and death, the little boys and the little girls who don't have their mummies and daddies and how we need to care for them and be supportive. Even in the Tur Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comics even though that these comics are aimed at a more mature demographic, I was recently shocked to learn of the recent death, yes, death, of, of Donatello, who's my favourite turtle. And I actually have taken this really hard, and I became quite angry about it when I heard about this, because I felt like this image of my childhood had been just completely destroyed because the comic book artist had killed off my favourite turtle. However, what it did make me realise is that the importance of art in general has as a vehicle to stir powerful emotions and, and discussion. You know, I got worked up with the death of a comic book character and that was through something that I saw and read about in the media, in the arts. So I, I do think that, that this actually tells us something about how the arts can be used as a vehicle to talk about death and dying and if we're not part of that then there's a big opportunity that we're missing. Another story is the story of a dragonfly. It's, it's a story again which is written by a Christian perspective and it's to help children come to terms with death. 
So the story highlights how a water bug is climbing a lily stalk, disappears, leaving the other water bugs to wonder where this water bug went. So another one decides to climb the stalk to find out where his friend has gone, but he promises to the other water bugs that they'll come back and tell them what's going on. So after climbing the stalk and falling onto a lily pad, the water bug turns into a dragonfly. And then though the bug tries to go back to fulfil the promise that he's given to the other water bugs, the water bug realises that he can't go back. And even if he was able to go back, then the other water bugs wouldn't recognise him because he's no longer a water bug, he's now a dragonfly. The water bug concludes that he'll have to wait until the other water bugs also make the same journey, climbing up the stalk, turning into dragonflies, where they can then be reunited. So this story in particular has been very useful to bereaved parents to open up discussion about death and dying with children. I believe that a narrative is a really useful mechanism of engaging discussions, and I think even though this is aimed at children, this overall narrative is useful for adults too. So how can we make a difference? How can we change the culture that we're in? How can we affect the culture that we're in? If we think of culture as a river, the best way to affect the flow of a river is to get upstream. So if we want to create culture or to change culture, we need to engage with the public and wider society and policymakers upstream to make a difference. For that, I think it requires us to think differently, which will enable people to act based on the value and the importance that, that they now see in those actions. If we want people to think differently, then we need to talk. We need to talk more. We need to keep on learning and seeking opportunities to affect the culture in whatever area that we find ourselves in. I think we need to be apologists about powers of care. We need to promote and we need to share information. For that, we need evidence of best practice. We need research. We need to keep on demonstrating that part of care is something that is inherently good and valuable. It's useful to have articles and evidence showing that part of care is cost-effective, but I think the overriding principle shouldn't be about cost, and it should be that it is, it's something that's inherently right and inherently good. There are many ways that we can engage with society. Talking is something that we can do, but also we need to use the tools of the age to do that. Social media is a form of communication, which lots of people are using uh, to discuss death and dying. I think how people use that depends on what they think is appropriate and also what people are comfortable with. But I think it's a very valuable tool that should not be ignored. It's a really a communication tool of the age and, and people should use this as a way to share information, collaborate and discuss in a wider area. So hopefully this episode of My Pal was of interest. Thank you once again for listening to My Pal. If you want any more information about myself, then check out my website, which is www.amarawarsu.com. That's spelled A-M-A-R-A-N-W-O-S-U. The music on this podcast is kindly provided by my good friends, Year of the Fiery Course, who will play us out. So until next time, goodbye.